Welcome into Bearcat Rewind. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. This is number 89 for our podcast. In less than a month, another former Bearcat great will enter the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. Steve Savard will be inducted on November 14th. He's a St. Louis native that put up big-time numbers for Northwest Missouri State football, 441 career tackles, second most in program history, and he also led the Bearcats to a 10-2 record in 1984 in the program's first playoff appearance. Savard was with the Dallas Cowboys before an injury derailed his NFL career prematurely, but he found his place as a sports broadcaster, worked his way back to the St. Louis market, and ended up becoming the voice of the St. Louis Rams, calling games for his hometown team. Now he's working as an evening news anchor for KOLR in Springfield. It's an honor to be joined by Steve Savard on today's podcast. But before we dive into the interview, we have to let you know Bearcat Rewind is brought to you by the Northwest Foundation, providing support for the Northwest Alumni Association and the university's funding needs since 1971. More information is on Facebook or online at nwmissouri.edu slash foundation. And Clorinda Regional Health Center, offering support to Southwest Iowa and Northwest Missouri each day during times of uncertainty through a local team of providers and nurses. More information online at clorindahealth.com. Steve Savard is our guest on today's podcast as we discuss his football career at Northwest, his journey as a broadcaster, and some of those moments he took away from his time with the Dallas Cowboys. We are joined by a former Northwest Missouri State Bearcat turned broadcaster who's done pretty well for himself. We are pleased to be joined by Steve Savard. Steve, appreciate coming on and chatting with us here this morning. Matt, good to talk to you. How are you? Doing great, doing great, and it's been an interesting couple of years, of course, with COVID and getting to this point, but we've got football back at Northwest Missouri State. It's been a lot of fun to watch on the field. And now to see another former Bearcat from the gridiron, a linebacker, now heading into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. What's this been like for you, kind of knowing right around the corner here in November you're going to get this big honor? Well, it's it's really nice. I got the phone call and, uh, last month or a couple months ago, and it's gonna it's nice, and it's just a chance for me to I got a lot of help along the way and a lot of ch- a chance for me to help a lot of people. I've been blessed. I kind of fell into broadcasting. Didn't think I was, had, had no plans growing up to, to do it, but um, it's been great for me. I've been blessed, you know, professionally, personally, financially. It's been really, really good to me. So I'm looking forward to it and sharing it with my family. We go back, you're in the Parkway Hall of Fame, going back to your high school athletic days for what you did there in St. Louis, the M Club Hall of Fame here at Northwest Missouri State, and now the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame too. And I'm sure as you kind of looked at it, you're probably imagining going into the Hall of Fame, maybe in a different aspect, of course, uh, after Northwest jumping on to the Cowboys. Things got diverted there a little bit, but is it kind of crazy to look back and just see how things unfolded for you to see where you are now? It really is, Matt. And I had, you know, I my... I started playing football when I was seven. I played them all, played all the sports, but football was the one that grabbed me. And from an early time at eight, nine or 10 years old, I wanted to play professional football. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't get the division one offers at the time because, uh, they could sign guys who were a little bigger. I knew I would develop. And, uh, I, I, I held on to that dream and I kind of had a chip on my shoulder. And that's the way I played for four years in Maryville. And, and I got, you know, I ended up being on the NFL radar and, uh, got my chance. It didn't work out. You know, I got kicked to the curb with a, uh, serious neck injury and nerve damage in my arm uh, at age 24, a couple years in. So I had to find something else. And I really fell into this by accident. My brother was down working in Joplin, Missouri. I'm now in Springfield, but he was in Joplin. And uh, I was down there watching a show, a TV show, a 10 o'clock newscast. And the sports anchor gave the score backwards. He said the Royals lost to the Brewers 2-4. to four. 
And so afterwards, I, I was kind of shocked by it. But, my, you know, in my family, that's kind of a mortal sin. You know, growing up, we were sports fanatics. You don't give a score backwards, particularly on the air. But so my brother just said to me, you're crazy if you don't try this business. And he talked me into going to a place called Broadcast Center in St. Louis. And I was the first one that actually got placed in television news instead of radio. And um, I guess you could say the rest is history. I feel like saying the score backwards is right up there with calling um, runs points in baseball. It's just one of those things that kind of makes you cringe, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, or points in hockey. You know, yeah, exactly. we grew up as a hockey. We're hockey fanatics, big Blues fanatics, lifelong Blues fanatics, and so our heads spin around when someone says, "Well, the Blues won last night by two points." Okay, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, just we'll just forget about that one. So, okay, so you're coming up, and, and you know that you're going to develop a little bit later on, um, and so you're kind of looking for that football opportunity. Was Northwest Missouri State a place you're growing up and coming through high school that the Bearcats are kind of out there and you know who they are, or is that one of those things where Jim Red came around a little bit late and brought you on? No, they were off my radar, Matt. Um, you know, I, I I was like most kids who grew up wanting to play either from Mizzou or Notre Dame or all that, and I had some Division ones, including Mizzou and a couple of Big Eight schools at the time, invite me to walk on. They come to high school and looked at me, but my, my real offers were coming from MIAA. Also from down here, at, uh, I was heavily recruited by then Southwest Missouri State, um, now uh, Missouri State. And uh, But Jim Red, you know, God bless Jim Red, he didn't fire uh, John Frangoulis, who was my linebacker's coach and who recruited me for driving back to Maryville and saying, uh, I, I, want, I want a scholarship 100, and, at the time in the winter of 82, a 190-pound linebacker. And uh, thank God Jim Red didn't fire him for saying that. And uh, Jim wanted me to come on board, so I appreciate that. And I, I knew I would develop. And unfortunately for Gooley, he only coached me one year. He got the hundred. He got the two hundred pounds, Steve Savard. He would have been much more fun to coach the two hundred forty pounds, Steve Savard. Um, <laughs> but that's the way things work out. Uh, I was disappointed, but I'm a guy, Matt. That turn, I'm a big picture guy, and I turn the corner pretty quickly. I don't. I don't dwell in the negative. And so when I signed with Northwest, I was gung-ho, and I had some goals going up there, and I met them. So the four years before you arrive on campus, as a team, the Bearcat win totals go 0-6-2-6. Are your goals personal at that point, if I'm going to get to this level and play like this, or was it we're going to turn this around and we're going to become a playoff team? That's a good question. Um, I think really more when you're heading off as a freshman, you're just trying to find your place. And I, I really believe I could play at that level and play pretty quickly, but you have to prove it. And so my goals going in were, I guess initially was as a freshman, we, we were not a great football team. My freshman year, um, we won two games. And, look, I, I got the opportunity to start by my third game of my freshman year, and I earned it, but it was also, look, I'm a realist. I'm all, it's about The opportunity presented itself because we weren't very good. If we were an established, very good football team, I probably redshirt that year, and that probably would have benefited me. I would have gotten another year at the 235 or 240 pound uh, linebacker. But uh, you know, go back to your original question. Um, my goal was just to make the travel squad. And then when I got here for a week or so, we're scrimmaging, and I said, you know what? I'm going to accelerate my goals. I really felt like that not only would I make the travel squad, but I was going to play some. And like I said, by the third game my freshman year, um, I was a starter, and I didn't come out. And, and we progressively got better after my freshman year. Uh, Vern Thompson came in, and, of course, our junior year, we really had the talent. And it's a shame we didn't win a national championship in 1984. But, uh, you know, we got better. Once I established myself, Matt, then it became all about the team. It was 
hey, let's get this thing turned around and start winning games because my freshman year, that was not a lot of fun going 2-8-1. Well, you go through that freshman year, and by week three, you're in the lineup and you're playing a lot. But I'd have to have to imagine you, you come over as a 190-pound linebacker. You led the team in interceptions in 82 with three. I mean, at that point, you're a small guy. I mean, was there any thought of, hey, I can play safety and just hit people too? Oh, no, no, no. I, I was a linebacker. I've been a linebacker since I was seven years old. I've played both sides of the ball. I was, uh, I, I weighed right around 200. Uh, I was 190 in the winter while I was being recruited, but by the next fall, I, I think I weighed in at 198 or 200. And uh, at that, even at that point in 80, 1982, that was undersized for a linebacker. Uh, I had some games where I played well. I was second in the team in tackles my freshman year, and like you said, I um, led the team in interceptions. But there were some also games. There were also games when some teams, you know, ran right at me, and you know, uh, I struggled. And so it was an up and down year, um, but it motivated me. Uh, I, I loved the first time I ever worked out in a real gym when I was in high school. I fell in love with it, so that was not going to be a problem for me. I knew I'd develop, and I just it, it just I just accelerated, you know, my program in the weight room. And by my sophomore year, I was playing at two twenty or two twenty five. So, um, no, there was no thoughts about switching positions. I knew I was in the right position, and I knew I would grow into it. Unfortunately, they just needed me to play my freshman year. Um, like I said, I would have been I would have benefited from getting a red shirt, but uh, we weren't in that position. So you guys do jump up, and you mentioned that that 1984 team, 10-2, and 5-0 in the MIAA, the first-ever playoff appearance for Northwest Missouri State football, and that's in year two under Vern Thompson, like you mentioned there. As you have a transition to a new coach, after you, you played your freshman year for Coach Red, I mean, is, is that difficult kind of transitioning into that? Were there any thoughts of, man, I don't – Maybe this is the right place for me right now. Well, there, there was a lot of turmoil when Vern came in. And, you know, Vern put everybody on notice. We had a team meeting after, in the spring of 1983 after he arrived, and he basically told everybody, there's no job safe here. You guys haven't been very good. Um, you're going to have to earn everything. We're going to bring some junior college kids in. And, you know, lots, a lot of he said in the spring ball, you're gonna, I don't care if you're a one-year starter or a three-year starter, you have to earn it. And a lot of guys were angry about that. My attitude was, what are you angry about? He's right. We weren't very good. It's all about competition. So get in the weight room and go out in spring ball and prove that you should be a starter. And so that was never a problem for me. I know some other guys. There were plenty of guys left the program. Um, others thought, and, and some did transfer to other programs. I was going to stick it out. And like I said, I was not afraid to compete. And um, it turned out it turned out great for me because when I came back, you know, we, none of us were really sure going back into my sophomore year. But when I came back at about 220 or 225 reporting day, my sophomore year, Vern Thompson met me at the front of the athletic, at the front of Lampkin Gym and said, I'm glad to see you at about 220. He said, you're going to be our Mike linebacker. You're going to go and make plays and call our defense. And so that was music to my ears. So, you know, my, my whole deal was go ahead and prove it. You know, yeah, I started my freshman year. Does it mean anything? If you're any good, then follow it up and start your sophomore year. So there have been so many great linebackers over the course of history for Northwest Missouri State football, and that's even continuing on today with uh, you can look at this current linebacker core that flies all over the place. But your second in total tackles in a single season, you had 146 back in 85, second career tackles at Northwest Missouri State. I mean, you kind of get to the point to where you realize at there at Mike Linebacker, you're like, I am sitting here, I'm always around the football, I'm sticking my nose in every play, that you were kind of climbing the ranks and had the chance to be one of the best to come through Northwest. 
Yeah, I, that that doesn't even you know that doesn't even enter your mind. To be honest with you, like I said, we're trying to we got better my sophomore year. We were uh, I think five and six, and then we kind of exploded on the scene my junior year. So that was my focus. But I was in a great position because, uh, you know, they wanted to take advantage of my ability to run all across the field. And, and Vern set up a defense that, you know, I was just going to have to beat one guy in a center or a guard on a particular play, and that was no problem for me. I, I went out in the field every day, Matt, and I wanted to be the best player in the field, and I wanted to make every single play. And if I made 15 or 18 tackles in a game, my mind goes to the one that I didn't make, you know, and that's just how I am. I'm kind of a perfectionist in the heart of myself, but – I wasn't really thinking about I was just thinking about winning football games. And I was in a great position in my final three years that, um, you know, I was a, you know, it was designed for me to be the run and hit linebacker and go make plays all over the field. And I thought that was my job. And I just went out every week to do my job. And I didn't want anybody to say I never emptied the bucket on the field. And um, I think the thing I'm most proud of is that uh, my teammates voted me a captain my sophomore year on, so for three years. So I think it, you know, what I would want my teammates to say at the end of the day is that, you know, he never left anything on the field. And I think uh, hopefully I did that. Well, you mentioned a little bit earlier that after college and, and getting that NFL opportunity and an injury sidelines, you ended up uh, ending that career shorter than you had hoped. But I mean, the chance to be on the Dallas Cowboys a team coached by Tom Landry and getting that opportunity, how did that kind of come about? And, and what was that like? being around those guys, being in that locker room, and just kind of realizing those dreams? Well, I was expected to be drafted, and even on draft day and post-dispatch in St. Louis had me going anywhere from rounds four through seven. It didn't happen. It was the longest athletic day of my life. Super disappointing, but then you have to make a decision. You know, you have to sign with a team, and you have to pick the right team, and in some ways it's better. I'm not sure I did pick the right team scheme-wise, but the Dallas Cowboys showed me the most interest. They had great Great success back then with free agents making the team, not just making the team, but starting. Three-fourths of their secondary um, in the mid-'80s, the starters were you know, free agents coming out of college. So that's why I chose it. Uh, the scheme really didn't fit perfectly because they ran a 4-3 instead of a 3-4. There have been more opportunities. But I just felt like – I just had a feeling that um, – you know, I could have a breakthrough in that roster. It was a tough deal, man. It was 100 and, we had 150 guys in camp to start with. And those are the days when you had a 45-man roster. There was no 53-man roster. There was no practice squad. So there are now 18 more positions on every team. So it was dog-eat-dog every single day. And, you know, it. when I look back, I think to myself, God, what an opportunity. But when you're in the midst of it and you're kind of low man on the food chain and you're fighting every day for a job, you can't relax and really enjoy it and take in the environment. Uh, when it really hit me probably was my second preseason game um, I went in very early in the first half. So after the first series, uh, starting middle linebacker Eugene Lockhart went out, and then I got the rest of the first half. And I'm in the huddle with Randy White and Two Tall Jones and John Dutton and Everson Walls. Um, and then I break the huddle, and I turn around, and we're in San Diego, and there's Dan Faust at quarterback. There's John Jefferson, a wide receiver. There's Kellen Winslow at tight end. Um, that's, you know, you, you do have moments where you say, <laughs> but you can't enjoy it, man, because you got to get after somebody and every mistake when they don't have a lot of money invested in you at the NFL level, um, is magnified. So yeah, looking back, I'm proud. I, I wish it would have turned out differently. I did everything I could to make it turn out differently. It was out of, some things are out of control, like getting hurt. Um, but 
you know, I'm proud of getting there because back then in the mid eighties, it was, it was tougher to be on the NFL radar, but you know, to say I, I enjoyed every minute of it, I'd be lying because I was pretty caught up in you know, just doing everything I could to try to make the team and make myself make it in the NFL. Your first preseason snap, whenever you step out there and you, and you see the uniform and you've got the star on the helmet, and you look around at who's with you. I mean, does it take a whole second to just kind of like, I got to snap back into this because I have a play to make coming up, but it just kind of, hits you right there that you're so close to that opportunity of, of what you're getting right there. Well, the, my first preseason game, we went to London. We were the, we were the, we played the bears. The bears were just coming off their super bowl win and the fridge was the big star. And um, so our first preseason game that year, we were the first American bowl played in, uh, in, in London at, at Wembley. And um, so I didn't play a lot. I played on special teams. And um, so that was a really unique experience, but, the second week when we went to San Diego and played the Chargers, you know, that was that was really eye-opening. And, um, you know, the first play from scrimmage that I go in in that series, the the signals coming in from Ernie Stockner are late. Remember, it's preseason. Everybody's ironing out the kinks. The signals aren't coming into me until after the Chargers have already broken their offensive huddle. And I'm getting the call in late, and my adrenaline is off the charts here. And I call Flex Strong, 31 safety zone, or whatever the defense was. <laughs> and I, I had I was projecting, and I had one of the guys in the huddle, it might have been Randy White, say, hey, rookie, shut up, man. You're not so loud. You want to tell the Chargers what we're doing? So that play kept calling and coming in late. So on, on top of everything else, I'm thinking to myself, come on, man, don't put me in this box here. Um, <laughs> but that, those are the kinds of things you go through as a rookie. And I will say this, the one thing I was surprised at was how helpful veterans were to guys um, in those days, and I don't know if it's still the same way in the NFL, but it it, it really is. It, it, I miss you miss the camaraderie, and even though I wasn't around long enough to say, "Hey, man, I really missed that part of the NFL," I did experience it in a short time. Yeah, and and, and just a a taste of it that you know ninety nine percent of us never get, but just kind of cool to think about being in that situation that in that scenario there. The injury hits. Your career comes to an end. Um, you studied journalism at Northwest Missouri State. Hadn't gotten to the broadcast side of it. I mean, was that a pretty quick transition of like, I'm going to go and I'm gonna try to write and make it work like this? Or were there a few other um, experiences along the way? Well, it was an abrupt transition. I mean, it was tough. Um, but again, I'm a circle the wagons guy and move on. And um, I started putting out feelers and, and, and I started um, applying for jobs in, in big markets and they, you know in those days especially you, you had to work your way up so there weren't there weren't daily newspapers that were going to hire guys straight out of college and the offers i was getting uh, i remember i got an offer in florence south carolina for twelve thousand dollars a year to, to cover nascar hmm. i didn't know a spark plug from a from a carburetor and uh, so i wasn't getting anywhere and so that's when i really it was going to i was going to be a, a, a highway patrolman a state trooper and i was just weeks away from going to the academy when my mother uh, who had worried about that uh, kind of schemed with my brother my brother working in Joplin as I referenced earlier in TV and she said uh, you know why don't you go down and visit your brother for a couple of days and I hung out down there and I watched the news and that's when he convinced me that you know you should give this a try and I, I said I thought to myself well why not I could I, at least I can pay the bills let's see let's see how far I can go in the business so um, it, 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 it wasn't easy but you know, you do what you have to do, and, you know, it didn't do me any good to sit around and, you know, worry about what had happened. I had to I had to find a career, and luckily I fell into it. 
So your first job, as as far as broadcast goes after that, if if I'm correct, Billings, Montana, I think, in 1989, then kind of working your way up from there and, and reaching St. Louis? That is correct, yeah. Um, that tells you, Matt, that tells you how uh, um, uninspiring my football career was when you start at, as a weekend sports anchor in the 165th biggest market <laughs> in the country for $12,000 a year, but... Apparently, I beat out 75 other guys, and I go back and I look at my tape, and I say, geez, I hope the other 74 went into accounting or teaching <laughs> or something, because when we all look back at our first tape, they got our first job, we think to ourselves, good God, I wouldn't have hired me. Um, so I, I, I promised the GM there that I would give him a year, because it's, you know, it's a starter market. They burn through people, you know, um, and if he was going to bring me up, he wanted a full year. Well, I was being driven crazy during the week. I was doing news reporting on some really, really uninspiring things like the uh, Sugar Beet Symposium that came to town. And after about six months, I just thought to myself, well, I, you know, I'm going to put some feelers out. And then I got a job offer from El Paso. And um, it was a bigger market jumping from market 160 to 100. And I had to figure out when I was flying back from El Paso, to Billings, I had to figure out a way how I was going to approach this with my general manager. So I said, I called him, and this is about eight months after I accepted the job. And I called him and I said, Hey, Ron, can I see you before my shift today? And it was a Monday. He said, Sure. I came in and he said, Let me, he said, Let me guess, you've got a job. I said, Yeah, I do. And uh, he said, Here, I was anticipating this. And it was a letter of recommendation. He goes, You don't belong here. Go ahead. And it really was nice of Ron. He had, he had written a letter saying, You know, um, he's been a great employee and he'll be great. It was a letter of recommendation. So, um, eight months there, went to El Paso, enjoyed myself immensely so much that I was there after about two years or two and a half years. And I said to myself, okay, let's get up and go to the bigger market because I was really enjoying life down there. And then I went to Hartford for a year and a half and got the opportunity to come home in St. Louis in 1994. So not only the chance to be back in your home market, but you're back in St. Louis, you're working and, and successful, how does the opportunity for the St. Louis Rams play-by-play come about for a young TV guy that played football at Northwest Missouri State, now back around hometown? Well, I was uh, in 1998, I joined the broadcast team um, doing pregame, um, doing some sideline reporting, doing halftime. And for those two years, 98 and 99, I was also the host of the Dick Vermeil show on uh, Monday nights. And in 98, there was a new program director who came into the cluster of um, clear channel stations, including our flagship station, 103.3. His name is Mike Wheeler. And Wheels would observe. Wheels was, Wheels was a very observant guy. And, you know, after a year and a half or two years, you know, he'd observe my work ethic. I was always prepared. Um, and he knew I knew the game of football. He knew I had played it. So the opportunity came up in um, after the 99 Super Bowl season. And I was on the broadcast that year, but I was not doing play-by-play. And I, you know, Will said to me, you are going to play, right? And I said, absolutely. And I had to go to my general manager, Alan Cohen, at, at, at KMLV, the TV station, and get his blessing. And he was fantastic. He encouraged me from the start and says, go get it. And uh, we, I got the job eventually. It was, it was arduous. It was tough for three or four months. Uh, John Shaw, the team president, you know, they had had in four, five years in St. Louis, they had two broadcasters. And uh, Mike Bush had abruptly resigned after the Super Bowl, and John was just fixed on getting somebody that was familiar from the West Coast, and he wanted somebody stability. He didn't want to burn through another. If it didn't work out, he didn't want to have to go to another play-by-play guy. So <laughs> John was diametrically opposed. Mike Wheeler kept pushing for it, 
he knew I would do the job. Finally, after about three months, he called me and said, the job is yours. Go make the most of it. And I, I'm so loyal to Wheels for doing that. He never takes any credit for it, but I wouldn't have had the opportunity without him, and I wanted to repay him. And uh, I knew I would do the job, and it was never a controversy afterwards. And I look back, and I had 16 great years. I wish we'd, in the last decade, the Rams had won more and played better football. But win, lose, or draw, it was a privilege for 16 seasons. But I owe Mike Wheeler. Mike Wheeler watched me uh, work for two years and knew I would do the job, and I wanted to repay his confidence. So you talk about Mike and and what he did for you, and it feels like you kind of see that along the way, and regardless of what profession you go into, whether you're you're an architect or, or an accountant or in the NFL or a broadcaster, I mean, you got to have people right there pulling for you and helping you and pushing to get to that next step the whole way. Oh, no question. You have to. I mean, you have, um, you know, you have people who help influences. You have mentors every stop of the way. You have. I had them at Northwest. I had them in every, every stop in in television news, including in St. Louis. And you know, you, you think back that, you know, like next month going into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. It, I just want to spend my time thanking the people that helped me. And, and believe me, Mike Wheeler is way up there in that list because I wouldn't have had the opportunity. So play-by-play for the St. Louis Rams. It's it's the team right there in your hometown coming off a of Super Bowl. Not as many winning seasons late as there were that those first couple years, but how awesome was that to be able to still have that taste of the NFL where you started out after Northwest and then circling back just in a different manner? Yeah, it was, you know, I, I, re, I had really missed being part of the game. And so um, – the opportunity, you know, just being on the broadcast was great, but getting the play-by-play opportunity was fantastic. And, um, you know, every Sunday was a treat, and I stepped into a dream job right in the middle of the greatest show on turf. I had my first two seasons were consecutive 500-point seasons. I called a Super Bowl, albeit a disappointing Super Bowl, but I called that in my second year. Uh, three out of four, four out of five first years in the – four out of my five first years were playoff years. I just didn't know. Nobody knew that the you know the organization would splinter the way it did after that Super Bowl loss, and eventually, the final eleven seasons. There's no way you could have predicted I'd never call a playoff game again. But um, you know, I prepared like I prepared for playing a game. There was some similar energy to it. Um, it kept me close to the game, and it was really it was a dream second job. I mean, it was my moonlighting job. But believe me, it took a lot of my hours. Um, five months a year, I was a stranger to my family. Um, so. It's not like I didn't I didn't work at it, uh, it, but it was all worth it. I look back and I say that was those were special times. But I knew it. Mike Mike Martz at the time, the head coach, coined the phrase "special time, special place." He knew that you know three consecutive 500 point seasons and dominating the NFL is not the norm. The the, the disappointing part, looking back, is the Rams lost an opportunity to really have a, a, a dynasty or mini dynasty. That team should have won more than one Super Bowl. Whenever you think back to 99 and working the broadcast, not on play-by-play yet, but still around it there with your, your hometown St. Louis Rams, and that's also the same year of arguably the, the greatest college football game of all time, Northwest Missouri State winning a four-overtime national championship. That was a pretty good year. Did, did, were you able to keep up with the Bearcats and the Rams throughout the whole season? Oh, absolutely. Um I had a friend, Don Daniel, who's a, a, a graduate. He graduated a little earlier than I did, uh, late 60s, and, and he ran a company in St. Louis. And we became friends. And, in fact, there it was either, I want to say it was 96, maybe it was 97 playoff year. We actually hopped the plane two weeks in a row and went up. This is before I was uh, the play-by-play guy, but it was on a Saturday, obviously. 
when when the Bearcats had turned things around and Chris Bryson was leading them in the playoffs, I believe this would have been '97. Uh, before they won their first national championship, we, I, I watched two playoff games up in Maryville and then flew back that day um, into a private airport in St. Louis. It was fantastic. And I I, I followed that program very closely. Um, I really I got to know Mel in those times, Mel Churchma. My God, my respect for Mel is off the charts. It would have been a dream for a guy like me to play for Mel. He, he ran, for me, he would run the perfect program. And so I did, and you know, you mentioned the, the 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 crazy national championship game against Carson Newman that went what four overtimes was it? Time? Oh, yeah, four, I think. Yeah. Um, so we're in the elevator. We had just gotten, I believe, we were playing in New Orleans on that on that Sunday, and we had just arrived on Saturday. And the Rams, uh, Todd Collins was starting linebacker from Carson Newman. He's outside linebacker, and so I was in. I just happened to be in the elevator with him going up to our room when we checked in the hotel, and I looked at him and I said. My alma mater's playing. He goes, I'm about to check it out on TV. And I said, I'm going to run to the hotel room and turn it on. And I got there just in time to see the overtimes unfold. And that's uh, I still remember that day. And I saw him the next day on the bus going to the stadium, and he just shook his head. <laughs> I said, how about that game? <laughs> you got to love it, too, just that uh, that D2 connection that you don't always know is there. But it's it's more prevalent than we realize, I think, at times, too. We think about Northwest and, and Coach T and what they've built. Now it's carried on through with with Coach Wright carrying things on. You're still watching. You're still keeping the pulse of this program and the wins week after week, right? Oh, no question. I was disappointed. You know, I I, I was really worried about unfortunately the Washburn game, um, and it you know unfortunately that you know some mistakes were made. But look, what's what what Mel Churchman did was unbelievable. Todd, I got back to St. Louis in 94, and so I really I hadn't paid attention to the program when I was out of town. I was working my way across the country for, what was that, five years. And, you know, I'd open the post, St. Louis Post-Dispatch every Sunday, and 94 was just a god-awful year. I mean, they were they were getting dropped every week. I'd call my buddy, my roommate, Pete Barrett, and I'd say, hey, man, what's going on in that program? He said, I don't know. The cupboard must have been empty when this guy took over. Because there were games where they were having like 80 or 90 yards of total offense in a game. Mm. And it was just, it was awful. And the next year they turned it around. They, they got to about 500, and then they started winning. I said, geez, this guy's doing something. And we went into the Hall of Fame as a team, the 84 team. I think it was 96 or 97. And that's when I met Mel, and uh, he invited me to talk to the team. And he was always very gracious. And always, you know, when I was ever around or was ever at a game, he always sought me out and, I'm just in awe of what he and, and Scott Bostwick and, you know, others did to turn that program around. And it's one thing to turn it around because we experienced that in 84. You know, we, you know, we really had the talent to win a national championship and fell a little bit short. But we couldn't maintain that, and the program didn't maintain it. And to maintain for this, the past 23, well, actually 20, we go back 25 years to when he turned the program around. It's just remarkable what Mel did and and the attitude and the culture change that he was responsible for up there and to recruit kids and do it the right way. And most kids are going to go there, red shirt. You'll be here five years. Yeah, we'll get some junior college kids, but we're going to build this program. The backbone of this program is going to be kids from high school, four- or five-year kids. It's just remarkable. And, um, you know, I've just been in awe of what he's done, and he's made uh, us alums, I've told him this many times, us alums very, very proud of, of what the program's become. They churned out a lot of great young men over the years and, and going back from Coach Churchman. Prior to that, too, of course, um, when you think about when you played in Rick and Broad and, and what 
Northwest Missouri State was like on campus. It's changed a little bit, hasn't it, over the years? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Matt, to say the least, it's changed. We we joke a lot. Um, our locker room was nothing. Nothing. To, in fact, there were times where we had an assistant coach who used to instruct us: if you have, a, if you're showing a kid around campus, don't take him to the locker room. <laughs> um, you know, the weight room was, and I was, my roommates and I were weight room junkies. We would work out in the afternoons after practice. We would work out in the off season in the weight room, and then we would supplement it by going. There was a gym at the basement of Horace Mann. And we would go down there at night, and that's where we would really get our pump on. And um, so the, the, and the and Rick and Broad was really, you know, it was underwhelming. But you know, you you you, it is what it is, and, and you you play in your environments. But to see the facilities now, you know, the indoor facility, to see Rick and Broad, uh, the makeover there, it's been great. To see, you know, the weight room, what that looks like now compared to what it was, and now the locker room, and I've been happy to contribute to the locker room renovation because I think that's a, that's your second home as an athlete. And when I saw the pictures in the final product, I was blown away. So, yeah, things have changed a lot, and I'm, I'm really happy because in, in this day and age, in this climate, you want to recruit kids, even at the D2 level, it's very competitive. You need to have facilities that will draw kids in, and clearly they have that now up there at, at Northwest. And they are fantastic facilities right now. It's it's. So awesome to see and kind of look at the pictures of how it has changed over the years. So, uh, Steve, I appreciate the time. I was wondering if I ask you just a couple more, and then I'll let you go. A couple quick ones. Um, first off, whenever you think back, 1984, 1985, um, everybody now has those those Beats by Dre headphones and listen to certain music. What what was the pregame music for the Bearcats back in 84, 85? Well, I don't know about the Bearcats. For me, it was... Um... Uh, and I didn't. We, I, I don't. I don't even know when. I think Disc Man. I don't know if the Disc Man was out. I didn't have anything like that. But so on the road, I never had music. Most of us didn't. But at home, the morning of, before we went down for pregame meal and then get taped up, we'd have eight track tapes. And I know I'm dating <laughs> myself, but um, for me, it would have been uh, Sammy Hagar uh, and uh, Van Halen. Nice, um, the classic rock. Yeah, I like it. The, it was in the. It was in the right in the right in the heart of Van Halen and Sammy Hagar and before they mixed. I mean, this was Van Halen with David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar as Sammy Hagar. So those were my two favorites uh, about mid to early to mid eighties. If you could have your choice of picking one thing that's current that you had, would have had back in the eighties when you were playing, whether it's the uniforms, the Bearcats have now the stadium or the locker room, which one would you take? It would be the weight room, the weight room. No question. Yeah, it would be the weight room. Um, I think that's, you know, it was so key for me to get in. And I, like I said, Matt, the first time I got, I was a, I had stuff at home and we'd work out, you know, at the at school and the program. But the first time, I think I was 16 or 17 when an older friend of mine who just graduated North took me to my first gym, the actual workout, I was hooked. And so um, I loved it. And for me, it was part and parcel of developing as a football player. So for me, all those things would have been great. Any one of them would have been fantastic. But to have the weight room uh, with the knowledge that kids have today, back in the early to mid-80s, that's the thing I would have coveted the most. Have you met Joe Quinlan before, the strength and conditioning coach here? I have met him, yeah. I have met him. I don't know him well, but I have met him. You guys would get along well. Joe's the man. 
the Quinlans are fantastic. You and Joe would get along well. He's, uh, yeah, always great to talk to. And, and yeah, the, the science behind lifting and, and working out and conditioning is, I mean, the way it's developed and, yeah, it's, they're on top of it is pretty cool. Well, you know, who Matt, you know, who's, it's a, it, was, it tickled me to see, and I hadn't seen Dr. Har for years. I mean, oh, Dr. Yeah. Har was our team doctor, and so Northwest was playing. Linda Wood was still in the conference a few years ago. This probably was 2014 or 15. And um, I really hadn't seen a Bearcat game in a while because I, I had no time. I was for 15, 16 years, I, my, my falls were full with ramps. And when I had a Saturday off, we were at home. I just, you know, I had family commitments. And if I'm on the road, obviously, I'm not in a position. So I got to see the Bearcats every other year at Lindenwood. And I run into Dr. Har, and he must be, you know, when I see him a few years ago, he was in his early 70s. The guy hasn't changed a bit, you know. Other, I think he shaved his mustache at a time or two. But he still remembers. Here's a great – here's talk about a great memory. Uh, I, I, my first play, homecoming my junior year, I get kicked right in the hip, and I get a hip pointer. I never, you know, I never had a hip pointer before how bad it was. I was begging him to shoot me up. And he's just looking at me. I'm not going to shoot you up. And at halftime, I wanted to play. Didn't play. Well, I don't know how many years later that was. 30 years later, he sees me, and he says – because I think uh, somebody passed me up on the all-time tackles list. I think I was nine short or something. I don't know what it is at number two. But Dr. Hart, talk about a memory. He says, hey, if I would have shot you up at halftime in that homecoming game your junior year, you'd be number one. <laughs> I said, you're crazy, Dr. Hart. You remember that. You're crazy. But it's good to see him. And uh, So just a lot of good memories when I get around the program. That's awesome. That's awesome. And he still carries around that same medical bag that he had back in the eight. He said it's like 50 years old, carries it to every game still. It's incredible. Yeah, he, he was fantastic. And also, I got I to give a shout-out to our former training staff headed by the legend, uh, D.C., Dave Colt. He was fantastic uh, to us kids, and, and I've been able to reconnect with him um, in recent years. And can't thank him enough for what he did to keep me pieced together for four years on a football field. DC, another Bearcat Hall of Famer too. So, yep, yeah. All right, last one, and then I'll let you go. Growing up in St. Louis, then of course coming back and working for the Rams, the greatest St. Louis football player, Cardinal or Ram, that you ever saw. Well, uh, I got a lot to choose from. There were a lot of guys in the Big Red that inspired me to want to play football, and, and coming home to St. Louis and becoming, in some cases, their friends and peers was was really great. Um. But I, you know, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with a guy that changed the game. They changed the the entire way the NFC West would draft defensive players and the scheme that they would have, and they never caught up with them. It'd be Marshall Falk. Um, he was a transcendent type player. He was his instincts were off the charts. His his football IQ was ridiculous. The talent was off the charts, but the intangibles separated him from everybody else. They could split him out. And he could run routes like a wide receiver, like a Pro Bowl wide receiver. He had world-class hands. He was undefendable in, um, in his prime. And it, it forced teams in the division to start drafting. A little bit like what happened with Lawrence Taylor back in the old days of the NFC East. But I would have to say Marshall Falk because I think he was a transcendent type player. Steve, appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for chatting with me today and, and everything you've done for Northwest Missouri State football. Matt, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Go Bearcat. We can't thank Steve Savard enough for joining us here on Bearcat Rewind today and looking forward to November 14th when he is inducted into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. Well, in case you've missed some of our recent episodes over the last few weeks, they include Kevin Berg, former Northwest Missouri State safety, 
Former Bearcat running back Jesse Haynes, former Bearcat baseball player Brett Westman, also had some audio last week from MIAA Media Day as Northwest Missouri State men's and women's basketball is getting set for the upcoming season. So check out all those archived podcasts of Bearcat Rewind. Thanks to Northwest Missouri State Professor Alex Kurt producing our intro and outro music, and thank you for tuning in to Bearcat Rewind. I'm Matt Tritton. We'll talk to you again next time.